Hello, everyone. This is episode 719 of the Pixelated Sausage Podcast for the week of Friday, May 8th, 2020. I'm your host, Mark Nez, and today I'll be talking about fledgling heroes, slaying two, and ghost sweeper. But before I get to all that, I want to talk about the Inside Xbox event that happened this week. It was their big May event. I don't believe they have anything else planned for the rest of this month. And I think they're going to have something next month as part of the whole IGN play at home, whatever the hell it's called thing. And so this is all we have for this month. Xbox related, at least. I I believe EA Play or whatever it's called will be on the 14th. Anywho, Xbox had their inside Xbox event where they focused on third-party games and publishers. And they were promising gameplay and all that jazz and people were not happy with it because there was not just gameplay and the problem was in the messaging because there were tweets that just said gameplay and didn't mention anything else whereas there was a another post somewhere that said for the xbox 2020 may update we will focus on giving you a first look at next-gen gameplay, trailers, and sneak peeks from a wide variety of publishing partners and independent developers across the globe and industry, including Ubisoft's recently announced Assassin's Creed Valhalla, and hear from game creators about what they're doing with their games on the Series X, the Xbox Series X. And so that is a much more apt description of what we saw, but... And maybe this is just because they wanted to focus on the stuff that they knew would bring people to watch the event. They only really mentioned the gameplay in a lot of the tweets they put out. And then Aaron Greenberg responded to a tweet that showed this particular description. And and he said, Had we not said anything and just shown May Inside Xbox show like we did last month, I suspect reactions might have been different. Clearly, We set some wrong expectation, and that's on us. We appreciate all the feedback and can assure you we will take it all in and learn as a team. Which is a nice response to all that's going on. Um, But I, having watched it with little to no expectations, was fine with it. I, I didn't think it was anything amazing, but it didn't disappoint me in any incredible way i can understand being disappointed by the lack of real assassin's creed valhalla gameplay we did get in engine stuff which is always a weird thing to see it's like okay this shows me what the game looks like i guess but when i'm not seeing it through the perspective i would actually be seeing it if i were playing it it falls flat for me and i think a lot of people it's like okay great this is an engine, but how does it look for me if I was actually playing the game? That's what I want to see. I don't want to see the cinematic camera mode that you have in the game or you taking the camera and just taking it around the space and showing me stuff and, and making it look more cinematic than it would actually be to play it. I want to know what it looks like to play the game. And I think they promised too much with Valhalla in particular, and I think... If not for that, or if they had more gameplay, then maybe people wouldn't have been so upset with the rest of the stuff that was shown. But, yeah. I wasn't too upset just because I kind of wasn't expecting much from that 
uh, in the first place. I kind of expected to get exactly what we got because Ubisoft is having their own event. I'm not sure when. That might be next week as well, but they're doing their own thing. And why would they reveal too much at someone else's event when they're having their own thing? That way You would assume that the big blowout is going to be at their own. You play, what have you. But yeah, that, that was something that really upset people. However, one of the other criticisms that really bothered me was that there were people complaining about the games that were shown and how they didn't have any big games. They didn't have, you know, big hitters from EA or Activision or, or other big publishers like Bethesda, what have you. They were just these smaller titles from developers or pub, not publishers, but like developers you don't know or games you've never heard of. We saw a fair amount of new IPs. And to that, I say, what is wrong with you? Why can't a company like Xbox or any company put up these games that otherwise might get lost in the fray? Why can't they take games that don't get publicity from every single direction that aren't going to get so many posts about them and show them off? If you were excited or you wanted to see more details about cyberpunk or this or that, we're going to see so much of that shit. There are some games here that I never heard of, but that I now know of and i'm like oh that that could be interesting the medium looks like it could be a cool game um second extinction which is essentially left for dinos looks really cool and i may have learned about that later but seeing it here i was like oh that looks like a lot of fun i love left for dead and, and those types of games and being able to do that with dinosaurs instead sounds like it could be really cool maybe the game's not exactly that but that's what it looked like then we also had The Ascent, which was this twin-stick Diablo-esque shooter-looking thing that could be really cool. It looked good. We saw gameplay of that. We did see gameplay of a fair amount of these games. The The worst or most egregious trailer that was gameplay-less is probably Scorn, which is just as weird as I don't fucking even know what to make of that thing. I don't mind cinematic trailers, but... I still would prefer in your cinematic trailer to have something that gives me any idea of what your game is and I have no idea what scoring is and I'm just going to assume that it is some fucking Souls-like fucking whatever. <laughs> it probably won't be, but if you if you don't show me shit and you just show me like weird, creepy imagery, I'm just going to say, oh, Souls-like. What uh, The thing that excited me the most was Yakuza Like a Dragon. And... That excited me because we had yet to have that announced for the Xbox, even though I think most people, like myself, assume that with Yakuza 0 and Kiami 1 and 2 making their way to Xbox, that the rest of the games will make their way as they do. So hearing about uh, Like a Dragon, which is essentially Yakuza 7, coming to Xbox and it being a launch window game for the series x i forget the exact wording but they didn't say a launch game exactly and that could be because they don't know when the series x is coming out or they can't reveal that so they can't give away the date and also the series x could be delayed so that would change things for the series x and and the accuracy of that specific descriptor but 
is also, of course, coming to Xbox One and will be smart delivery enabled, which is nice. And a lot of these games were smart delivery enabled. Vampire the Masquerade, Bloodlines 2 looked very cool when they got past the whole creepy opening that was really, really disturbing. And when they got to the, I don't know if it was gameplay or just gameplay renders, what they expect the gameplay to look like it actually looked pretty damn cool and got me very excited for that game uh, being someone who has no history with the franchise whatsoever other than knowing that it is a very beloved game the first bloodlines and bright memory infinity looked cool but it's also hard to believe that was made by one per i don't that game i just look at i'm like what is this how is this made by one person get out of here but going back to smart delivery there are two things about these the this event that really bothered me to varying degrees madden 21 when that was revealed they had patrick mahomes talking about it and he said you know you buy it on xbox one you'll get it on series x which is great I want to play it here and then I can play it there. Blah, 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 whatever the fuck he said. And we learn later on that it is not actually a smart delivery game because the way it works with Madden NFL 21 is that if you buy it for Xbox One by December 31st of this year, you will then be able to upgrade it to the Series X version. And you have to then activate that upgrade, I think, by March 31st or however many days there are in March. I don't know. And that is problematic for two reasons. One, not a true smart delivery game because there is a time limit on it. And then two, the wording about upgrading it, like you have this specific time frame before or, or, or where you can upgrade it to the Series X version makes me wonder if you do that, do you then lose the Xbox One version? And are there two separate versions if you do buy the Xbox One version after December 31st and then you buy the Xbox Series X version after or whenever the hell you do, if it's available with at launch or whatever, do you then have two versions? Because the Series X will be backward compatible. Will you have then Madden NFL 21 and Madden NFL 21? And then how do you differentiate between the two? Will you just have to look at them and see how large the file size is to see which one is the pretty one and which one is the less pretty one, even though I'm sure both games will look probably pretty similar. Maybe one will have a higher frame rate or it'll be a bit more stable or something very very minor in terms of maybe just the, the load times will be faster for the series x1 i looking at what little gameplay they showed of madden nfl 21 it is not a huge jump it doesn't make me say oh my god i can't believe what i'm seeing it was just like oh kind of looks like madden nfl 20 uh, am i am i actually seeing 21 or is this just 20 so that whole thing is just Stupid and shitty and EA being EA, which is annoying and frustrating because you'd like to see EA turn the corner and start earning some goodwill, but then they do shit like this and it just makes you say to yourself, why? What are you doing here? What are you doing? So whether or not they stick to that, who knows? Uh, but I, I, I would like more clarification on the way everything works and especially 
the whole upgrading thing and what that means to your Xbox One version of the game. And also, for games that do not use Smart Delivery, do you then have two copies of it if you do buy both of them in your digital inventory? And also, this whole thing, what does that mean for physical purchases? Will there be a slip in there that expires on December 31st? And how does that exactly work, though? Because if you have a slip in there, what does that give you? It gives you the Series X version when you put in the disc. It's all very confusing. Smart delivery, I think, should be very straightforward, but Madden has just made it more complicated. And it would be good if either Xbox or EA just comes out and just says, we fucking were just full of shit. It's it's all good. Smart delivery is still smart delivery. And it just seems weird. I just don't understand why i understand from a business standpoint and a greedy standpoint the desire to put out separate games and make people buy them twice multiple times you know however many times they want to rebuy it but it is such a bad image it's such a bad look this makes ea a company that already has so many issues with its image look like shit this is not good for EA. I don't I don't know what they're doing. All all that EA needs to do right now is lose respawn and they're fucking dead. Then they're just the sports studio. And there, there are rumors of a Mass Effect trilogy remaster and I don't I feel like people at this point are going to be I'm sure it would sell but I think people even now are annoyed, too annoyed with EA to deal with that. But who really knows? Then the other issue I had with this whole event that is a very personal thing that bothered me and I don't think most people would probably give any shits about was that at some point early on they were talking about how they're partnered with like a hundred or over a hundred publishers and they may may have even said a hundred or the hundred top publishers blah 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 something of that kind of sort and when they showed the splash screen and all these publisher logos There are two ones that were missing that stood out to me. And I understand why they're not there. But I was really hoping they would be there to show their progress in making Xbox a more viable platform outside of North America. So the two publishers that weren't there, from what I could tell, I looked it over and I did not see them. Maybe I missed them. But there was no Atlas and no NIS America. And you're probably saying, of course there wouldn't be Atlas or NIS America. Why would they put anything on Xbox? And my real question is, unless they have some kind of contract stipulation with Sony that says, hey, you can put your shit on Switch, but just don't put it on Xbox, okay? That is the deal, all right? I don't understand why they wouldn't put their stuff on Xbox. And if it's that Xbox is not reaching out to them, why aren't they reaching out to them? If I was Phil Spencer or somebody working at Xbox, I would be going to Atlas and NS America and saying, we want your stuff on Xbox. If it's a lack of funding for doing the 
work that needs to be done in order to port the games to Xbox, we will pay that. We will we will fit the bill. But it's just not happening. And it's like I'm not expecting Persona 5. That would be nice. If Persona 5 ends up on Switch and PC, then I would expect it on Xbox. Because I when I look at games that have made their way to PS4, Switch, and PC, but not Xbox, it frustrates me. And I know a lot of people would just say, well, the Xbox is not a thing in Japan. You know, you can't even really say that it's made any kind of dent in Japan. It's probably sold, I don't know. I'm assuming that the Xbox One in Japan over its entire lifetime has sold less than 100,000 units. Maybe it's even less than 25,000 units. I'm, I'm assuming it's very, 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 very low. And I understand that, but... People play these games in the States. More and more people are playing them. And I really hate any kind of exclusivity that is regarding a third party. If it's not a first party developer, I hate it when a game is exclusive. Because, you know, and this isn't because, oh, I want to play Persona 5 on Xbox. I would love to do that. I played it on PlayStation 4. That was my only option. And I did it. If there's a game I really want to play and it's not on Xbox, I will go out and play it on whatever platform that is. But I am lucky enough to own all three platforms. Not everyone is so lucky. Some people can only afford one. Some people can only afford one fairly late in the generation after significant price drops. And blocking off a certain number of the audience a certain percentage of the audience just it irks me because i feel like if you're not tied to a company as a first party shouldn't you want to put your game out there to the largest audience possible and of course i say this with an immense amount of ignorance in terms of how much time it needs or how much time is needed in order to take a game designed for PS4 and then port it to the Switch or Xbox One. How much time it is, how much it costs, and all that jazz, and the time it takes to do all that takes away from developing new games or constantly updating and keeping you know the 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 game itself uh, as polished as can be and stuff like that. So I understand that there is that side of things that I don't have any experience with, but I just wonder why it doesn't happen. So with like Atlas, they haven't published anything on Xbox One at all, I think outside of Atlas USA publishing Rock of Ages 2, which isn't a game they developed, but prior to that, the last games they've published on Xbox were the Persona 4 fighting games, Persona 4 Arena, and then Persona 4 Arena Ultimax or whatever it was, and then Catherine before that. And then before Catherine, I think they had that very short period of time where they published a handful of games like Zoids Assault, Spectre Force 3, and I think a few others during the like around the launch of the 360 before potentially the PlayStation came out, the PlayStation 3, which is maybe why they were like, okay, we got these games. We don't have anywhere to put them yet. There's no PlayStation console. And that was a time when 
Xbox was fighting hard to make some kind of impression and, and make some kind of stand in Japan, getting games like Lost Odyssey, Lost Odyssey and Blue Dragon and what have you, but that didn't end up working out for them. You know, they also had Tales of Vesperia, which recently, maybe a year or two ago, came out as a definitive edition across all the, the current platforms, which was cool. But yeah, the lack of a large Japanese uh, support is still something that disappoints me, even though I'm very happy we got Yakuza Like a Dragon, and I, I hope we hear about 2, 3, or, or 3, 4, 5, and 6, and also Judgment would be cool as well. And then with NIS America, they make a lot of smaller titles, which are cool and neat in various ways, and also do the Disguy games, which have been put on PS4, Switch, and PC, but again, no Xbox, which is frustrating, and I'm pretty sure NIS America has not released a single game on Xbox One and Xbox 360. I have no idea. But I think, unless I'm confusing them with another publisher, that if they are the the publisher of RPG Maker 4 or whatever the most recent one is going to be, I don't know if it was released on PC, but it was delayed for a very long time. I think it was supposed to originally come out around April of 2019. That did have an Xbox One release. It did list Xbox One as one of the platforms. Whether or not that will still hold true, whether or not that game will still come out, I would assume it is because it's a popular creation series and it would not not come out. It might just be still a while away. But... I remember from the emails I got about it that it was coming out on Xbox One and being so shocked by that. And it's just like, oh my God, they're putting out a game on Xbox One? This doesn't make any sense. But outside of that, nothing. Why not put Disguise 1 complete and Disguise 5 complete on Xbox One as well? You know, maybe, maybe those games wouldn't sell all that well. I don't know. I don't know how many people who only have an Xbox One would be all over those, you know, and maybe they look at and, and see how well things like Kingdom Hearts do uh, after the fact, now that they're here, and the Final Fantasy games, and they look at that and like, well, those big titles haven't made much of an impact, so why would our games do any better? But uh, I, I would like to think that Microsoft would do everything they can to bring as much of those, as many of those games to their platform as possible. But I guess not. I can't say I guess not because I have no idea what's happening behind the scenes. But that is still something I would love to be surprised by in the future. Whether it's old games being ported or new IPs moving forward also coming to Xbox platforms. Whether that's Series X only, Xbox One, both, etc. Anyway, that is Inside Xbox, and I went on talking about it for longer than expected. So, what I've been playing, Fledgling Heroes is a very, very cute, adorable little endless runner-esque game for the Switch. I'm not sure if it's on other platforms, but it feels very at home on the Switch, especially if you're somebody who is prone to taking your Switch on the go in handheld mode, and... 
you control one of a handful of different birds that have different characteristics in terms of how the gameplay works. And you have all these levels that you have to get to the end and you'll have certain goals like collect this many coins or knock out this many lizards. And the way the game works is that depending on the bird you're using, you may tap the screen like it's Flappy Bird in order to keep your bird up in the air. You may hold it to make them glide up and then let go to let them drop. There is one bird that is this adorable little thing. I'm not sure what kind of bird it is, but it is way better at walking on land than the rest because the rest of the birds just kind of hit their chest on the ground and just bump, 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 bump along the way, which is kind of silly that they're able to keep the momentum that they're able to do and move and that it's not incredibly painful. It just bump along on your chest for some of these birds. But there's this cute little one that's sort of like a little chiclet and it skirts across the, the ground and its feet are moving so quick and it's, it's super cute. But that one feels very different. You also have a penguin that does essentially like the, the gliding in air but underwater. And they all feel ever so slightly different, some more so than others. The little chiclet definitely feels very unique in the way it can handle being on the ground much better. And it's definitely more of a ground thing because it is like a chiclet. So when you can fly, you can just kind of fly in these like short bursts. You can get really high, but you can't stay in the air because your little wings can only propel you. And then it's like, okay, slow you down from hitting the earth too hard. But I really like it. It's super cute and colorful. It's easy to get through, but you'll have to then make sure you get these feathers in levels. There will be actual feathers to find, and then you get some from completing challenges, like I mentioned earlier, like getting a certain amount of coins or hitting so many enemies or getting through these these number of rings and stuff like that. But in addition to the main story mode, you also have a character customizer where you can take the birds and change their color schemes which is really cool and then you could save various color schemes but what is especially cool is that they have a level editor and you can also play other people's levels that have been posted online and I think there's some kind of smart system that will tell you if a game is difficult or not but even if you haven't made it so far in the game where you've unlocked all the birds you can still play any creative level with a bird you haven't unlocked. It'll just tell you, you haven't unlocked this bird yet. Are you sure you want to try it? Because you might not know how it works mechanically. And you can just you know say yes, and then you're good. And some of the... I've, I've played through quite a few creative levels, and some of them are duds. But there are quite a few that were really creative that I was surprised by, given the games as far... I, I'm pretty sure it's only been out since yesterday officially the seventh and yeah i was surprised by the quality of some of these levels and and how different a lot of them felt like some of them are, are much more puzzly there was one that was like an endless runner or it wasn't like an endless runner it was an endless runner where you're just trying to get as far as you can as the little chiclet which was extra good and yeah I, w I was surprised by how much I enjoyed it, and I think the level creator uh, and user-generated level 
ability to play those games is something that could give the game legs potentially like this is something that i uh, have played for a few hours and i've enjoyed and also in terms of the level creator for creating uh, levels. Yeah, the level creator for creating levels. How fucking apt. I, I, I bet nobody knew what I was talking about until I said for creating levels. You're stupid, Mark. But the level creator, you have so many blueprints unlocked at the very beginning. And the way you unlock new ones is by finding them in the levels in story mode. So you have a reason to keep playing through story mode. Uh, uh, more than just going through it for the fun of it. And you'll also get, I think, you can find in any levels different specific color schemes for various birds, which is cool. And yeah, it's just, it's a very chill, fun, little, cute game that feels like it could be, like, I, I think it might be a bit, too potentially challenging for really young kids even though it looks super inviting which is a kind of disappointing because of the whole the having to collect feathers to progress is fine but it feels like even early on you have to collect a lot of them to make progress so that you can't just kind of go through levels and ignore those if you don't want to deal with them for whatever reason so you will hit I, I think a younger person would hit that wall more frequently and quicker than I would like from a game like this. That seems so inviting for kids and is just so cute and fun and simple. It is a game that I look at and I'm like, this would be perfect for kids. And then I'm like, well, a kid may end up playing through it and then get to a point where they need so many feathers and they're going to be like, what do I what do I do? Daddy? Mommy? I don't know how to get past there. I don't know what that voice is, but you get the idea. So that is Fledgling Heroes on Switch. And if it's elsewhere, I'm not sure, but I, I would say if you have a Switch, that is the way to go with it because it just feels right at home on the Switch. It is a very take it on the go type of, type of game. Then Slaying 2 is another game I played on the Switch, which is the sequel to, I guess, a popular mobile game. And this is where you are controlling a character of various sorts, and you jump between two different planes, and as the base character, the knight, you have your little sword, and when enemies pop up, when they spawn in the space, and you switch between these, this is also on Switch. I think I said that, but just in case I didn't, also on Switch. You switch between the planes with the right, what is it called? The equivalent of the bumper, the R1 button. I don't know, not the trigger. You switch between planes with the R1 button, the bumper. I'm going to call it the bumper. I prefer that over R1 because it might not be called R1, but if it's the... You bumper, you know which one that is. It's not the trigger. Anywho, you switch between the planes with that. Then you can jump and you have a special attack. But the way it works is that enemies will spawn and then you just run into them. You don't have to attack them. You just run in them because you will be, when you're running in either direction, left or right, you'll be 
pointing your sword in that direction and you just run into enemies and you immediately kill them. Some of the more tougher ones, they might push you back and need uh, an additional hit and the bosses will need quite a few hits and they will push you back in all likelihood. But the way the game works is that you play a level, there will be a time limit and you have to survive the onslaught of enemies that gets crazier and crazier and more hectic as time goes on. And once the time limit is up, the boss will show up and you have to beat the boss in order to complete the level. And I like the look of it. I like the gameplay. I think it's a very fun little game with its own unique hook in uh, traveling between these two planes to fight enemies. What I don't like and what ruins the experience for me is that I hate flying enemies in this. They just become this overly tedious thing that I hate dealing with. Um, And they're just a pain in the ass because when you are going up to attack a flying enemy, there's a good chance that they will come at you in hordes and big or in, in decent enough sized groups. And if you run into one and they hit you, you don't hit them head on or front on with your, your sword, you will take damage. And it's so easy for them to overwhelm you and have one of them at least do some damage or for your jump to be just ever so slightly off and you might kill them, but you'll also take damage at the same time. And they just become this annoying thing that doesn't, like I, I feel like if I make an error when I'm dealing with the enemies on ground, it's because maybe when switching planes, I wasn't paying attention to a spawn coming from the ground or anything like that. But when I take enemy, uh, damage from a, an enemy in the air, I just feel like, well, fucking, I what I, I did the best I could do. I, I feel less in control of how things play out dealing with them. And then there are enemies that will, like spiders that will dangle from like a tree branch or whatever. And while it may look that like you can attack one, from one plane, they will only be attackable from a certain plane. So they, you might have one that is hanging from the top plane and you can jump and reach it from the bottom plane if you want, but that will do nothing because for whatever reason, it's not letting you do that. It's only going to let you attack them from the top screen. So I don't really like the way that works either but i i do think it's an interesting thing and worth checking out if that interests you and again not again but just the the whole issue i have with it and the flying enemies and all that that might not bother you at all and if it doesn't then i think you could have a lot of fun with it because if i ignore that i really like the game and the way it works and, and and the whole conceit of it. I really like all that, but the flying enemies just started pissing me off really quickly. Um, there's also an arcade mode where they just keep throwing enemies at you and then bosses and you just get in waves, which was fun. But then, you know, they still end up throwing in the flying enemies, which pissed me off. You can't upgrade stuff in both arcade mode and you know, get a, a better sword and whatnot but yeah a little disappointed with that but i think if 
what I said about the flying enemies doesn't turn you off, worth checking out. And if you have experience with slaying the first game, which again, I think was on mobile platforms and was supposedly pretty popular, of course, why not get this? I'm sure it's everything the first game was and better. But I am, of course, just assuming that. Then the last game I played was Ghost Sweeper, which is apparently Solomon's Key. Or it was inspired by Solomon's Key, which may leave you thinking, oh, I know exactly what you're talking about. Or if you're like me, it'll leave you thinking, what the fuck is Solomon's Key? Except I know what Solomon's Key is in that I've heard of the game, I know of it, but I don't know anything about it in terms of gameplay. So when I talk about Ghost Sweeper, if it doesn't sound like Solomon's Key, don't blame me. Don't blame the messenger. Blame whoever else. But if it does sound like Solomon's Key, well, maybe this game will be for you. Spoilers, it's not for me. And part of that, well, a lot of that has to do with its production value and the fact that it hard crashed on me once in 30 minutes of play and then a second time after that. And I was like, okay. And I, I got an error screen that I've never seen before. So it definitely looks like it could use an update playing this one on Xbox One. And it's rough around the edges. How it works is that you play as one of two characters, either a dude with a bucket on his head who uses a vacuum to suck up ghosts and then spit them out, or a dude with a fedora who likes to keep touching it. You know, he's just, he's, I guess, he, you know, with the whole social distancing and everything, it's like, I can't touch my face, but I can touch my fedora. And that's the, the point of the fedora. And that's why the bucket's on the face. It's like, I don't want to catch the corona, so I'm wearing this bucket on my face. And the fedora dude can shoot off like a fireball with their gun to kill ghosts and whatnot. But the way it works is that there is a door. It is locked. You have to get the key, which could be hidden or not, and use that key to open the door. Once you get the key, the door will open. And there will also be treasure scattered around each level, and doing all this will get you a star. So you get a star for completing the level, a star for collecting all the treasure in the level, and a star for completing the level under the par time. And the way you go about navigating this space is where I'm assuming the Solomon's key comes into play, where that comparison, that inspiration comes into play. You have the ability to remove and create blocks of ice in order to reach places uh, that you couldn't otherwise. So there might be something that's really high up and then you create a pair of stairs that you can get there or you create this like this ladder type system where you create here's a a block on the left then one on the right then one on the left one on the right you can also use the blocks to hinder enemies from moving forwards or up or in whatever direction depending on the enemy they might end up breaking the block after a certain amount of time and from a gameplay standpoint or not from a gameplay standpoint, conceptually, I like this idea. If this is what Solomon's Key is all about, and Solomon's Key is a well-done version of this, then I want to play Solomon's Key, because I like this conceptually. But the problem is, one, doesn't look good. All around, the presentation and all that jazz is not great. 
but then in terms of playability, it just doesn't feel good. It's very finicky to get in the right position to place a block where you want to place it at times. And then the hit detection seems ridiculous. Uh, there was this enemy, this skeleton, who would take his head off and then start rolling it towards me. And I dodged the head. I don't know. I think I dodged it by just placing a block and then jumping over it or whatever. But when I got to his body, which is really, really tiny, his head was humongous and his body was incredibly small. When I got to his body and tried to jump over it, however it happened, I don't know. I ended up, I guess, touching his body and I died and the, the level reset. And there are too many instances of that in the game where something happens and I'm like, really? Really? I I touched that? And that is beyond frustrating because I am doing things that I feel like should give me a certain type of I'm doing I'm doing things that I'm assuming will lead to one outcome and I'm getting another and it's a, a regular thing and, and just super annoying and disappointing and then the, the technical issues is they're just not good at this point especially the, the crashes that that is the most problematic thing even though the game is saving after every level and all that jazz so it's not like you're going to lose a lot of progress i just don't like it when i see that with a game and when i see it twice i'm like oh this is this is unique it's the most unique thing about the game the fact that it's crashing and it's giving me this error code this error screen i've never seen before with any game that's ever crashed or anything so that is different. But yeah, as it stands, I would hold off on Ghost Sweeper. Unless you're really, really into Solomon's Key and you just want anything that's like Solomon's Key and what I said was reminiscent of Solomon's Key, then I guess you can. But if not for that, I would say, yeah, hold off for now. But um, yeah, that's all I've been playing outside of Streets of Rage 1, 2, and 3, which I just wrapped up earlier today the script for the attack the backlog episode which i'm going to work my ass off to get done and edit it and all that jazz so i can put it up this sunday instead of one of the ones i already have in the can and then next episode which will be two weeks from this sunday will be attack the backlog streets of rage 4 i'm playing fast and loose with what my backlog means but uh it's past the release date of Streets of Rage 4, and I wanted to, even though this is a new thing, to have two games in the same series back-to-back, even though technically you're going to have four games because I am doing an episode about all three of the first games, and which is different and cool, and, and it was fun. I mean, playing through Streets of Rage 3 was not fun, but I did it, and I did not enjoy it, and I hate that game, but it is what it is. I... I did not get to go to the White House. I instead went to the syndicate, and then I did not be the baddie in the time limit. So, oh well, who cares? Too much story in Streets of Rage 3. Too many cutscenes. Just get out of my face with your garbage. What the fuck was going on with that music? Anyway, I, I wrapped up the script for that. Just need to go through it and edit it and make sure it, it flows well, and then I will record that and start working on the video. So hopefully, I mean, I should, since I finished the script... I shouldn't have a problem getting that all done tomorrow. 
which is going to be a busy, busy day, a busy weekend. Also already recorded the episode for Unamazingly Baca this morning, which was earlier than expected. So it's, it's already been a very, very busy day. I'm already tired. I just want to relax for the rest of the day. But I want to then now after this work on the Streets of Rage stuff. So no, no rest for the wicked. And boy, am I wicked. Um, but yeah, excited about all that jazz. And it, it was fun going back to the Streets of Rage games because I, I thought I finished the first two. And then when I played the, the first one and got to a certain point, I'm like, <laughs> I've never finished this. And then I was like, okay, well, I at least finished the second one multiple times. I feel so confident in that. And when I was playing through that, I got to a point like, <laughs> I never finished this either. So I don't know what the fuck is wrong with me as a kid. Assume like I guess as a kid, I was just like, yeah, I got to a point in this game and then I stopped playing. So that's me finishing it in the end. And I, I feel like I owned, I may, maybe I didn't even own Streets of Rage 2. I know I own Streets of Rage 1 and I still own it as part of the six pack. But, I mean, I still own that, that copy I had as a kid. But then, the other ones? When I was a kid, maybe I didn't? I don't know. Because I, I did not keep, or I do not have my entire collection. There there are games that were lost in the the nether realms. I don't know. My, my copy of Pink Panther Goes to Hollywood. I don't know where it went. I wish I still had that. I had it in the box and everything. I still have my copy of Boogerman. I don't have the box for it anymore. God, I wish I wasn't such a dumbass kid throwing away all these boxes. What a stupid idiot me. Anywho, excited about that. And super excited to then play through Streets of Rage 4, which I feel like could be my favorite. Spoilers, my favorite Streets of Rage game is Streets of Rage 1. I like almost all of that over the rest of the games. I think, of course, Streets of Rage 2 looks better. But... I, I do like something even while from a visual standpoint, a uh, fidelity standpoint, Street of Rage 2 is clearly the better looking game. The more grimy, gritty color scheme and feel and vibe of the first game, I really, I really like that about it, as opposed to the more vibrant, colorful look, uh, colorful aesthetic of the second game. And then three plays incredibly well. Like I love the feel of the characters and being able to dash. That feels great. But everything else about that game is fucking garbage. Anyway, that will do it for this here episode of the Pixelated Saucers Podcast. Once again, I am your host, Mark Kuznez. Y'all can find me on Twitter and pretty much everywhere at PX Saucers. The site is, of course, pixelatedsausage.com where you can find this podcast attack the backlog and on amazingly abaca all of which are available on podcast services across the globe like all the usual places i just want to say across the globe anymore i keep forgetting that that's what i want to say now i don't need to tell you where to go because if you want to go there it's probably there maybe for some of them it's not stitcher radio has become a pain in the ass with my newer shows and i have no way of really dealing with it but oh well. And by newer shows, I mean on Amazing the Baca. So what I have to say to that is Stitcher Radio, what the, what the problem is? What the problem is? Um, but uh, yeah, if you'd like to check out the 
videos I make, including the video for or the videos for Attack the Backlog, which I think are, is the best way to watch to consume that series is through video as opposed to audio. But if you just want the audio, you have the audio there. But then there are also other stuff like Any Games Roundup and what have you. If you'd like to check those out, though, you can go over to youtube.com slash pixelated saucers and watch them there. If you'd like to check out the art I make, you can go over to pxsart.com. If you see something you like, click the link, and it'll take you to where you can purchase a print of the piece you fancy. And if you fancy the site in general and anything that we do, please go over to patreon.com slash pxs and support us that way. As always, Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed this here episode. I hope you're staying safe, healthy. I'll keep saying this until this whole shit is over, but I do hope you're being safe and healthy, not doing anything crazy in any way, shape, or form. And I hope you are doing as best as you can given the current climate and and all that, and that your family, friends, and general loved ones are doing well and then staying healthy as well. And with that, I will really, really, I will really say this is the end. Okay. Bye.